0: this is need to know real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. from australia ross coltart from the u.s bryce zabel hey everybody i'm bryce zabel out here in los angeles and you're listening to the latest edition of need to know uh, the podcast about everything you need to know about ufo and uap as an issue and uh, we do it, of course, from two continents. We do it from Australia, where my partner Ross Coulthardt resides, and, and of course here in the, the United States. We have a great show uh, here for you today. We have Dave Beatty, who is the investigative filmmaker who is behind the Nimitz Encounter video that was released in 2018. It's really sensational, but we're going to dive beyond what he did uh, with that video to what he's working on now and some of these other cases. So it'll be fantastic. Uh, you know, one of the things uh, about Australia and the United States that I always learned is that Australia was always the penal colony. So people went there, but they never really came here until look who's here. G'day, how are Oh, you? my God.
1: They let me out, right? This is is
0: a great thing to be able to shake hands with this man after seven, was it seven months that we've been doing this?
1: We've never actually met in the flesh
0: before. Never met in the flesh.
1: It's a funny thing, isn't it, that the miracle of technology like Zoom, StreamYard, whatever we're using to communicate, allows us to develop a friendship and indeed a collaboration on the subject of UAPs. I we've never even met in the
0: flesh. You know what's interesting about it, though, Ross? I think it really illustrates how the world kind of changed and shifted off balance a little bit from the pandemic. Because it didn't seem strange at all that the way we started getting to know each other was, you know, I figured, like, I'm Zooming with all my friends. Why don't I just Zoom with somebody in Australia? The only difference was that, what, 19-hour time difference or whatever whatever oh, it is and
1: the flight oh my god <laughs> well
0: the flight It that's another
1: matter. oh my god i tell you i tell you as you get older it just doesn't stop hurting it, it's painful hopping on a plane and sitting there for 15 hours rolling your thumbs like this waiting to get off the flight but it's nice to be here. It,
0: it is and you know just so people kind of understand the dynamic when we started i think it was literally through a zoom it was just like well you know uh I, I figured, like, I might as well talk to this guy. I enjoyed his book. I enjoyed the, the documentary you did for Channel 7. And I thought I should call him up and talk to him. I'm a reporter in my past, as, as Ross is currently today, of course. And one thing I learned is there's almost nobody you can't call up. So I called you up.
1: Now, uh, Bryce, we're up to mischief, aren't
0: we? We are up to mischief. I'm here for a reason. Yes, he is. And it's not just to come to my house and sit in front of this crazy cork board. Okay. There are other reasons. Now we
1: are here for a reason. Yeah. We have a very, very interesting reason that I'm here, but I can't talk about it right now, but
0: it's. Are you saying that people don't need to know about this right now? You don't need to know about See, I don't this know right if now. that's going to fly. I, I, I don't know. I'll tell you, can we at least, we can at least tell part of it. Obviously you are here, uh, you came here working on a number of stories.
1: Yeah, I've, um, I've basically Channel Seven Australia sent me periodically around the world to do various stories, and one of those stories I'm doing at the moment, with you no less, yes, is about UFOs, UAPs. But we'll have to hold back on that for a moment. Let's.
0: Well, we won't tell everybody about it, yeah. but all I can say for my own purposes is. It has been, you know, without getting into the details of what we've done or who we've talked to or what it's all going to be about, just the process. Uh, you have an incredible crew that you work with. They're incredibly talented. And uh, everybody works uh hard and uh, it, and we had a great it's a long time
1: time it's a long time since Bryce has been on the road as a reporter <laughs> with a television crew we
0: have been flogging
1: him the last couple of days
0: I've been on the road with, with crews but I tell you this was fun because it actually was Ross and, and me on the road driving around here in Southern California and other parts and and um, I am very excited uh, to First, this, I haven't seen the, the footage yet, so I'm excited to see that footage, and then I'm excited to see what we can make of it. And and so, uh, folks, on the other end of this screen, you're going to get to not only see it uh, as a video, but then also we're going to be able to uh, uh, bring you longer form editions of it, I think, on the podcast. So that's enough tease. That's enough to make people go crazy, but it is great to see you here, and, um, and I hope that that leads to other times when we can do this.
1: Now, Bryce, it's been a momentous week in space exploration.
0: Oh, has it really? I mean, think about it. The web, you're talking about the web telescope. So we've been waiting. I remember you talking about the web on like our third podcast or something. And we were very excited because, first of all, the Hubble has provided some of the most incredible images that we've ever seen. I mean, they were fascinating. And yet the web is supposed to be even better. So we have been waiting for the first web images to come out. And we've seen the first four.
1: Yeah. In fact, there's going to be a drop in about 1 hour from now ah. of the next images that they've they've shot well, and, uh, and I'm really excited to see what they've got because I think the thing that blows you away is this is a device that's literally sitting in a position on the other side of the moon. It's just such a miracle of technology. I mean, it's amazing. It's to me, you know the thing I love about it, it's it's a tribute to human exceptionalism.
0: It certainly is. And, and it, it makes you feel good. It, it just does. makes you feel good. And, and you mentioned that there's going to be another drop of images. So those of you who are watching uh, this on our YouTube expression, you will get to see those images as we're talking right now. And, you know, each one just is so exciting. It's like opening a Christmas present. It's like, what is this going to look like? And they always blow your mind.
1: There's one that's up on social media at the moment, and you can zoom into this tiny little dot of grain of sand in this
0: huge
1: vista of stars, and they zoom in. And this is the power of the James Webb. They zoom in, and then you realize that that little dot, that little grain of sand, is galaxies, thousands of galaxies. It's it's literally breathtaking what it, this telescope is capable of doing.
0: It, when I saw that stuff, what it reminded me of is that there is um, – there are photos that you can take and have been taken of like football stadiums or baseball stadiums full of people, right, just – many, many thousands of people, but the, the um, resolution is so fantastic that you can literally move in on a single person and see them. I feel like the technology between the, behind that Hubble is is more than that by a, by a large degree, but it's being brought to to bear on looking at space. And the one thing that people keep expressing over and over is when you see the gi- gigantic nature of space that the Hubble and now the web are giving us does seem pretty hard to imagine that that we're just alone in this big universe
1: it also seems pretty hard to imagine with the technology they've got on board that incredible piece of um, construction that we won't at some stage see a signature
0: well that's the hope from a lot of people and and it is kind of interesting we have seen the search for uh, life out there uh, pivot to we're now thinking about maybe there's that life has come here who who knows we're we're looking into that yeah but but it, it it would be a game changer on its own level if the hubble found signatures
1: but you know i i just think you know we do give nasa a bollocking every now and then we for do. the simple fact that they they are sitting on videos that they really should be releasing and explaining more about sure. what they actually see from their space station but the thing i really do admire is this is a truly momentous accomplishment. And and in terms of scientific knowledge, human understanding of our place in the universe, it's pretty hard to go past what the James Webb's going to be doing for us in the next
0: few years. It, to me, it sort of has some of the same emotional uh, feelings that I felt during the moon landing. Yeah, it, it It made me proud that humanity, for all its problems, could still muster the capacity to do something brilliant and wonderful and positive and and clearly we're doing that with the web. Now, of course, now we have to come back down to earth and say what's going on around here. There are there are some updates we can make. And and I think one of the first that we should talk about is probably where do we stand on congressional hearings since we seem to always be talking about it because first of all, they're either talking about having hearings or having hearings or whatever.
1: Okay. I've been ringing the phones. By golly, I've been hitting the phone since I got here. Um, I am very, very sure there are going to be more congressional hearings. And by golly, they're going to be a lot more interesting than this floppy, flaccid piece of wet lettuce that we got from Ron Moultrie and Scott Bray, despite their best intentions back in May.
0: I don't think they could be much worse.
1: Yeah, I think what we're going to get are witnesses who actually want to testify and who are psychologically motivated to give evidence that hopefully will provide an interesting insight into the UAP issue.
0: It, it is true, though. We are hearing people that keep saying things like, "Oh, well, you you know, you'll you'll see some uh, surprising people," and and yeah. I, there are people sort of beating the drums in the distance to yeah. say this could be a game changer.
1: Look, I, I actually got off the phone earlier today to somebody in Congress who told me, "Ross, it's the January 6th hearing." Yeah, basically everything is delayed because they're all going like blazes to try and get the evidence out for the January 6th hearing as quickly as possible and to resolve that issue because they don't want the January 6th issue to overwhelm what they're I, hoping will come out of the UAP
0: hearings. I would I would look at it the same way and it doesn't really bother me at all. Let the January 6th hearings play themselves out, they have to. I mean, I don't care which side of the political divide, if there is a political divide and whether you should have those hearings or not, it doesn't really matter. If the people who are getting the UAP hearings together are doing their due diligent work and are are trying to get the right witnesses, can you imagine if a UAP hearing was organized with the same degree of detail and presentation as these January 6 hearings have been? My God, I mean, that would draw ratings that would be better than a Seinfeld finale. I Tell mean, it me would be it. incredible.
1: I mean, you know, it's funny. I've noticed some people on social media have said that they thought that the uh, politicians in the hearing on May 17th asked some good questions. And I'm just wondering what planet they're on. They, <laughs> they allowed themselves to be snowed. Yeah. And by golly, that mustn't be allowed to happen again. And just to address the yes. issue, one of the things that I think is absolutely imperative if we do have further hearings. I didn't realize this, I've been looking at the law in Congress, you can call witnesses, but it's a decision of the committee chairman whether or not they're put under oath. I hate that, I just hate that. I mean, the first thing that's important is that whoever comes up before the Congress must be sworn
0: under oath. Absolutely. Otherwise, what's stopping them from lying? can you even imagine to construct a situation where you bring somebody in to speak to the duly elected Congress of your country and you don't do everything you can to ensure they're going to tell you the truth? The
1: other thing that we need to do,
0: Yeah, and this is
1: where we are getting good news, I'm hearing from the traps inside the Congress that there is cracker legislation coming through that will provide an assurance of immunity to witnesses that want to come forward. It's going to indemnify people who have national security obligations, NDAs that restrain them from speaking. They will be given assurances that they can speak without fear of prosecution.
0: This is just shocking, I think, because it's interesting for years, people in our position where we're opining about the whole issue, we've said, well, there needs to be immunity and and we've listed these things, but I don't think we ever thought they'd actually get around to it very soon. And to have people actually drafting legislation and, and putting it in writing, you see that it could actually happen. And then you start to say, wow, that's the kind of thing where you bring it. Think about even water. Eve. John Dean talks about what he's going to talk about. And then, boom, it blows open. You bring in one great witness under oath and have them say some things that then cause you to call other witnesses to find out the details of what they're saying. Uh, this well this like i say it's better than a seinfeld finale it really is
1: now i think we need to get on to our guest yes today. we do we but do we'll bring dave Beatty into the show within a few minutes on the next segment on need to know catch you on the
0: other side stay with us we're back in a moment because you need to know
1: Welcome back to Need to Know. Now we've got a special guest today because we need someone who can explain this ongoing mystery of the 2019 drone swarms that happened off the Californian coast. And one of the experts in this area, who I think has been under-acknowledged, is Dave Beatty. G'day, Dave. How are you, mate?
2: Hey, good to see you, Ross and Bryce. Uh,
1: nice, glad to, see to be you here. Too. Now, just to introduce you, Dave, you're a former MUFON investigator from a long way back, but you're very much an investigative filmmaker these days. I, I first learned about you when you were doing the Nimitz encounter videos, which I think told beautifully in a visual way, using the data that the Navy had provided, exactly what happened during that encounter.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Um, and that was my goal, to basically take something that was a complex case that uh, maybe not many people would understand listening to the pilots talk and so on but by using computer simulation and graphics putting that together in a very journalistic way uh, basically stating the facts of what was known and then telling that story you know those 15 minutes or so or 30 minutes of that encounter um, that was my goal when I put that together um, and I, I kind of made it for myself, you know, I'd like go and watch it at night and stuff uh, when I was working on it. And it was just like, you know, it was awesome. So I never expected it to get that much traction. I, I, it was just a, you know, a kind of a passion project, not sponsored or anything like that. And, you know, we're almost up to uh, six, six million views on YouTube, which is pretty successful. So...
0: Hey. Oh, I was just going to say, Dave, I've seen it twice. I saw it when it first came out, and then I watched it in advance of this. I was just wondering, uh, do you reserve the right, or do you ever update it? If you found a different fact or a different way to do the video, would you update it, or is it standing as it is?
2: Yeah, actually, um, that was my goal from the very beginning. Um, you know, unfortunately, YouTube doesn't let you sort of uh, replace a video once it's um, on online. So what I was doing was sort of adding a new video. And in fact, there is um, a second version of the video that I I released because um, uh, Gary Voorhees, one of the witnesses sort of recanted his story about um, hearing about an underwater object or a USO that was tracked. He said that the information that he received back in the day was incorrect. And he had been informed by another sonar man that was on the USS Princeton that they had not had an underwater contact. So I actually redid the video and took that part out. Oh, good. So can we yeah. roll
1: forward, Dave? As we all know, we're setting the scene here on the 17th of May. There were two intelligence officials, Ron Moultrie and Scott Bray who put very much the Navy point of view on the 2019 drone swarms off the Californian coast. And I don't think they actually said specifically what a lot of people have actually said they said, but I think a lot of people have concluded that their assertion is that generally what we were seeing with those videos that the Navy shot off the Californian coast were drones, UASs, i.e., the inference being some kind of prosaic explanation. What's your say on that?
2: That's absolutely correct. In fact, going back to the first documentation that I received from the Navy, which would have been in 2020, um, in the spring of 2020, when I first learned about this incident, um, the deck logs were pointing in that direction as far as using terminology that is known Um, And I was sort of surprised because I had learned about this case as being an unknown case, that the sailors didn't know what these objects were. But in looking at the documentation, they were using terms like unmanned aerial systems or drones, and the logs referenced that over and over. But many times they would use unidentified. So it might say unidentified drone, spotted flashing light, spotted a red light, spotted a UAS or UAV, they used a lot of different acronyms. They never used like, the term UFO, and at that time, the term UAP really hadn't been, um, you know, disseminated mm-hmm. to the Navy as an official term at that point. It was kind of right around when they were um, gearing up for those new reporting strategies. But, you know, when I looked at it, you know, I was like, okay, well, maybe they're using this term for something that is a light in the sky, it's flashing, it's moving around, it could be a drone. So. What else are we going to write in the logbooks but drone?
0: And is drone uh, the new dirty word of uh, ufology? Or can we look at drone as simply something that appears to not be controlled by someone sitting inside a vehicle, but from someone outside the vehicle, which would include possibly non-human people running it?
2: Right. I mean, I guess when you say an unmanned aerial system or UAS, You're saying it's a machine that's in the air that doesn't have a, a man in it or a, a woman. Right. But, you know, so if they don't know where it came from or what it is, they might be able to get away with using that term. And it made, it's possible that the, the quartermasters on these vessels were told simply, you know, just use that term. And they're probably on the radio with some of the other ships and they're discussing this and they're saying, well, what do we say? You know, write down um, UAV, spotted UAVs or use the term drone. And we saw that over and over. And then in the, in the emails that came out a little bit later that year, in 2020, um, we discovered that the Navy was actively investigating some other vessels in the area trying to find out if they were flying drones. And, in fact, there were a couple of um, vessels out there that had drones. In fact, a lot of ships that are civilian ships, you know, they might um, have a drone or something looking for fish or one of the ships had a drone, they were doing ocean research on Flotsam. Um, So, yeah, I mean, some vessels did, but actually the activity of these drones was highly unusual, and they never really found, as far as I know, um, they never really found any, at the time, any ships around there that were menacing these uh, U.S. warships with like, you know, 10, 10 or 11 drones flying around them and hovering over the ships.
1: Now that's what interests me Dave because it's interesting there's a bulk carrier called the Bass Strait which is a strip of water between Australia and um, Tasmania Melbourne and Tasmania and uh, it's interesting because it's been a bulk carrier that's operated in Australian waters and it seems to have been going through the middle of these American warships at some stage during the exercise that they were involved in but can we be very clear about this I don't think the explanation that these drones were supposedly launched from the Bass Strait works, because as I understand it, it was actually in port in San
2: Diego for a good part of the sightings
1: when they occurred.
2: Am I wrong? No, I mean, that vessel had a reason to be there. Like, you know, dozens and dozens of uh, container ships and bulk carriers and tankers and other merchant vessels that go in and out of the Port of Los Angeles at Long Beach. Um, You know, on a daily basis, these vessels are in the shipping channels, they're going in the same um, stretch of ocean that the US Navy is using for training. You know, these aren't like um, restricted waters that only the Navy can use, so this ship was simply driving in that area, either on its way into port, waiting outside of the port. You know, as we know, (laughs) last year, some of these ships got stuck outside of port waiting to get in so the vessel had a reason for being there but the navy thought that it was um, possibly the source of these drones now a lot of the information coming from the navy is sort of sketchy did the navy actually witness a drone launching from this vessel it seemed to be close enough for them to watch the drones to see if they landed there or took off from there obviously if the ship's a mile away you could just sit there and track these drones I don't know that they ever found that. I have not seen any evidence, in fact, that actually showed a drone, you know, um, like a surveillance drone coming off this vessel. So I don't know. I mean, I know that they certainly did suspect it because it's in these uh, official documents.
0: You know, you said you haven't seen any evidence. I just thought to myself, how does one, in, how does someone in your position evaluate evidence? Where do you get evidence? In other words, what are you looking for uh, to report in these films that, that you're making?
2: Well, I mean, in the case of the Navy, um, when unusual events occur, there's certain mechanisms that are in place to document it. If any kind of unusual drone, for instance, or a small vessel or anything approaches a ship, um, the Navy, you know, deploys away these Snoopy teams. They're like, um, you know, ships nautical and otherwise. Something. It's an acronym that stands for pho- photographers and videographers that run up to the top of the superstructure, out onto the bridge wings with cameras, like you know, high-powered DSLRs and video cameras with zoom lenses, and they begin uh, filming whatever they're seeing. If it's um, you know, an object in the sky that's coming close to the to the destroyer, they're going to film this stuff with night vision goggles and. Um, they're going to do a report that goes to naval, naval intelligence. So I knew, based on the ship's deck logs, that whenever these UAPs or drones or, you know, whatever they were, were coming near the vessels, every single time they were deploying away these Snoopy teams. And so I knew that they had video and, you know, photographic evidence of this. So I began, you know back then when I first saw that, began trying to acquire some of the, the videotape evidence. And I, I actually was pretty unsuccessful um, getting denials from freedom of information across the board from the Navy that this material was all classified. So only recently, the last year, has some material trickled out. Um, you know, in the last few months, you saw some um, Snoopy team photographs, actually, and even some videos where you, you would hear the Snoopy team um, talking on the videotape saying that they're filming a drone so that's kind of where this evidence first came about would be um the number one looking at the the deck logs of the vessels this video evidence if it exists and then even looking at publicly available transponder data that the the navy vessels are um broadcasting transponder gps data on an ongoing basis as all you know ships in in the world are doing So we were able to look at that too, to try to find out where the the vessels were at any one time.
1: One thing I was keen to know, uh, Dave, is there's a vision or or a picture, a still photograph in some of the images from the ONI declassified report, which appear to show a quadcopter. I mean, it looks like a quadcopter. And the reason why this matters, I think, just to explain to our audience, I, I want to preface here, It matters, this whole debate about what this drone's explanation means, because I think that that 29 incident was extraordinarily significant. Like you, I've been talking to people in the Navy and former and serving Navy people who've told me they don't buy the drone's explanation. They admit that there may very well be drones at some stage during the course of this engagement, but that there were multiple engagements over various days. So can you paint us a pin picture of not just one incident, but the whole series of incidents, and were there vision or images of drones?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I have seen a couple of Navy documents that show clearly that they were filming a drone, and obviously, in this day and age, um, if you just go outside, you probably could find one somewhere in a park and film it. So, yeah, during this time period, there were some incidents where, you know, drones were in usage, and, you know, as it's known, um, fishermen do use drones so but these it's not really the same thing that we're talking about here we're talking about where you would have a navy destroyer reporting that they began um, receiving reports from the lookouts that they had multiple um, unknown aerial air contacts inbound approaching the vessel and in some of these cases specifically in the month of July 2019 You had um, day after day, night after night, actually, not during the day, but almost uh, entirely at night, night after night of these incidents taking place where you might have, you know, three or four or six or seven or 10, 10 or 11 drones approaching a Navy warship and then circling around the ship, sometimes hovering above the ship. Um, You know, the, 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 the sailors were looking at lights in the sky, very hard to discern shapes. They didn't report, as far as I could tell, they didn't report these incidents during the daytime where it might be a little bit easier to see what they're looking at. And, and you know, again, a light in the black sky is kind of hard to even photograph. Um, so that's kind of what was happening. In some cases, you would have, say, four or five destroyers that were out in the Southern California operations area spread out over, you know, thousands of square miles of ocean. These these guys were not sitting together in a tight group. They were spread out hundreds and hundreds of miles apart, yet they're all receiving multiple drones inbound. They're all receiving at the same exact time these UAVs that, you know, are sort of very um, unusual. Again, the Navy's looking at this as a, you know, perhaps a foreign actor, a foreign state actor that's conducting surveillance, but I just haven't seen the evidence that, you know, they actually found that person or persons or government that was doing it. It's sort of suggestive that it's suspected drones, it's suspected foreign, you know, they don't come right out and say it, but other investigators have said, oh, these are Chinese drones, it's, it's obvious. Well, that's I think one, you know, hypothesis, but you know, again, some of the Navy veterans that I've talked to, the, in fact, the first guy I ever talked to told me, hey, these are not drones. The person that told me about this, Dave, he's like, hey, these are not drones. These are like were unknown. They were kind of freaking the guys out that were on the, the ships. They couldn't identify them. They were, you know, very unusual in the behavior. So So I've
1: got a few more questions for you, Dave, because you've now got me going.
2: Need to know continues in
0: a moment.
1: Welcome back to Need to Know. Now, Dave, let's bring you back in and have a further conversation about the drone swarms in 2019. Just to explain to our audience, people might think I'm a bit obsessed with this issue, but I think in terms of relative importance, this incident that took place in 2019 is on a par with what took place with the 2004 Nimitz incident and the 2014 2019 14, 15 incidents that involved the USS Theodore Roosevelt off the East Coast near where you are, Dave. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, I do agree. Um, the gentleman that um, you know kind of leaked this story out to me was involved in the 2004 incident. He was um, a 20 year Navy veteran that had 14 years at sea, retired as a chief warrant officer. He was on the USS Chafee out there in 2004. He saw the Tic Tacs. He told me, he said, Dave, these objects in 2019, they were these same objects that were out there, these tic tac things. That's what that's what his quote was to me. Now, I don't know that the the people, you know, the veterans that actually witnessed this reported white cylindrical objects. I haven't seen that at all. But he said that they were very strange and they viewed them directly from the eye level from the bridge. Um, you know, the 20. 20- The East Coast sightings, the the 2014, 2015, again, these were strange objects that were hovering out there all day long, uh, maneuvering around these super hornets, doing very strange, um, uh, you know, kind of cat and mouse type stuff with the fighter jets behaving in ways and, and maintaining this these positions out there over the ocean hundreds of miles offshore, they just seem to defy kind of this idea that somebody flew these from a ship or, or, you know, obviously it would be almost impossible to fly 100 miles from land, a small drone. But the same thing in 2019, if there's, you know, four or five ships out there and each one is receiving four or five or six drones hundreds of miles offshore, who's flying these things out there. It's just really odd.
0: You know, uh, Dave, that is true. It raises the question, where are they launching from and where do they go after they're done? Uh, The one thing I just wanted to make clear for our audience is there's these numerous incidents. Uh, The one that we seem to know a lot about, of course, is Nimitz, that's the one that's captured the public imagination everybody goes, oh, got it, Tic Tacs, right? Are there observers on these other incidents who are describing physical craft, and do they differ specifically from the Tic Tac?
2: You know, it's been very, very challenging for me to get anybody from the 2019 events to speak. Um, I did make a serious attempt to begin contacting, you know, former Navy personnel that would have been aboard, and obviously there would be thousands of these people. Um, so that's a, 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 you know, there's a challenge if anyone wants to Partake. Um, you can find uh, public sources where you know some of these sailors are listed, and you know trying to reach out to them as a journalist is a challenge. And I did eventually contact a few who were willing to talk to me, but as soon as I mentioned this specific incident that this is what i was researching they didn't talk to me anymore and they they pretty much ghosted me across the board once i brought this incident up and i don't know if they were you know signed ndas or or the Navy basically told these people don't talk about this to the press i don't know well that's
0: let me just follow up on that because there's a couple of good explanations you've touched on one it's like the navy could tell them you're not to be talking about that but then also there is the whole stigma issue which we've all re- reassured ourselves is getting better that uh, people feel less stigmatized on the topic so they're more willing to be honest about it but that doesn't sound exactly like your experience that you're still getting pushback when you're trying to talk to people is it because they're active duty personnel and they're not retired or what, what's your explanation for that
2: yeah i mean i've, I've seen it go both ways i mean the gentleman that originally contacted me was retired, but yet he was still involved um, in his career. So a lot of people that are you know, in the Navy for a long time, they leave the Navy and they, they're involved in defense contractor careers. I think in, in some cases when you're talking to people, look, I'm not talking about this, Dave, because I have a career, man. And if it gets out that I'm talking to a reporter about UFOs you know that could affect my career so they're just unwilling to even go further and I I really have to you know commend these people that are willing to come forward and talk to me you know and put their trust in me that I'm not going to cause any problems for them if they don't wanna you know be publicly uh, you know named and so on and I know that Ross you've mentioned this before that it's utmost important to protect the you know confidentiality of these guys so that's what I've been trying to do
1: you're absolutely right, Dave. I mean, I, I, it's funny because I wanted to add to what you're saying. I actually just got off the phone as, on my, as I was on my way here. I'm, as you know, in LA, and uh, I was talking to somebody in Australia who was talking to me about an incident that took place on a Australian Navy warship in Australian waters, and I was just double-checking with them uh, what they'd seen and, one, whether they'd reported it to command. But basically... Uh, there are identical incidents occurring on Australian Navy ships and on New Zealand Navy ships, which are the two countries I know best. And it's quite fascinating to me that this explanation of drones is now emanating from the US Navy and uh, the Office of Navy Intelligence. Do you think that the answers that were given by the two intelligence officials, Moultrie and Bray, to the Congress were disingenuous?
2: It's possible. I know, you know, that they probably are trying to present the Navy line, and, and that is that they're trying, the Navy's saying, these are drones that we are trying to determine the operator of the drones. And and that's kind of where the Navy documentation, yeah, if you look behind the scenes. You know,
1: forgive me for interrupting, because I'm trying to yeah. get to the nub of this. I think it was an intentional attempt to mislead the Congress. I think that a lot of people have been led with the impression as a result of the May 17th hearing that really, you know what, there's not much to this UAP stuff. You don't really need to expect much to come out of these congressional hearings because we're telling you these 2019 hearings, they really are being over exaggerated by these tinfoil hat crazies. It's basically a uh, a drone incident. It's only a matter of time before we find the foreign adversary responsible. Calm down. Go back to your homes, get on with your lives, don't worry. This is another flap about nothing. Do you agree with that?
2: I do. I mean, I agree that, you know, sort of the, the, the usage of very poor evidentiary uh, cases, number one, uh, you know, pointing out the fact that, oh, look, we're going to show you what's clearly a drone. And uh, by the way, the shape of the object is because whoever was filming it. Within, with the Navy with the highest quality equipment can't get into focus. So that's the evidence they're gonna show or they're gonna show um, this video from a fighter jet that you know is impossible to even see when clearly um, over the last several years, including uh, the work with to, to The Stars and Luis Elizondo get, in the New York Times getting some of these videos out, such as the gimbal video and the FLIR video that have yet to be explained. I mean, where where are the senators looking at those videos? Where where are these other videos that I've been told are substantially clear cases of unexplained objects that these warships and uh, planes and jets have been seeing? Yet, you know, that's not the, the videos they're showing. They're showing these easy to kind of like throw away um, cases that say oh, there's nothing to it. Don't worry about this stuff.
0: That's exactly what I want to follow up on, because I think that's the frustration. We keep getting told that people that are you know, going into classified briefings where they're seeing substantially longer uh, encounters uh, on video and they're seeing substantially uh, higher quality videos than we're allowed to see. Now, I understand classification, is, and, and as you obviously do, but uh, what would expect? Let me put it this way. We've all mentioned the the Nimitz case and we've mentioned the New York Times reporting of 2017. We're almost five years out from that now, which is kind of a a yardstick that I think a lot of us will use to measure progress from. When you look at the situation we're in right now, in 2022, uh, almost five years later, are you satisfied with the progress or are you dissatisfied? And if you are dissatisfied, what do you want to change?
2: I mean, I I think that I would have to answer that, that I'm pretty satisfied the fact that we've gone from, you know, completely zero interest and complete denial, complete and utter stigmatization of this, no academic study and no funds whatsoever being applied to the research to at least they're listening, at least, um, you know, there's movement along this front. Now, whether there's you know behind-the-scenes uh, maneuvering to try to shut it all down, and again to you know create like you know the the back in the day when the government accounting office kind of shut the door on the Roswell case, you know, which was you know unfortunate um, back then. After that, people had a lot of hope that that was going to, like, generate some new interest in um, examining this stuff. I'm hoping this continues and that I'm hoping the Defense Authorization Act gives immunity to whistleblowers within the defense community, people that might have information that are afraid to come forward.
0: Uh, At the at the risk of asking you a question you don't want to answer, uh, what are you working on right now? We know what you've done. Where are you going?
2: Well, I mean in the la- I mean, I'm, I still am doing UFO stuff. I mean, I, I, I broke these two cases that are you know, kind of remarkable cases that get really little play. Um, and you can find them on my medium. I can give you that at the end um, to, if people want to look at that. But the, the one case um, was recent um, UAP case from a marine transport ship called the USS Kearsarge. And in October of uh, it would be 2020, or no, October 2021, excuse me, and then January 2022. So just recently, this vessel was off the East Coast doing training operations and again, um, encountered these really strange lights that were maneuvering behind the vessel. There were Marines that were on the deck of the ship that were filming it. They submitted a report. Um, We FOIA'd, we got this PowerPoint that basically shows where the position of the ship is and it clearly labels UAPs. This time they're saying the UAP was right here and they're not saying it's a drone. So that was kind of a breakthrough case there. Again it's still unknown. And then an older case that came to my attention that I just com- completed a series of interviews was the the USS Ronald Reagan where up to 10 people on the bridge observed a glowing uh, fiery orb that basically was hovering over the ship for you know all the people to see plainly in front of all these people and um independently i interviewed like three different sailors and talked to about ten so it's just incredible so that's kind of what i'm working on that's not my day job my day job is working uh, doing films i'm doing a documentary um on the uss enterprise for the world war ii foundation it's uh being narrated by gary sinise and it's going to be on PBS, uh, you know, probably early next year. Excellent. So Dave, just
1: returning to the 29 incidents, 2019, 2019 for a moment, the, the USS Omaha case, the splash 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 video. I'm interested in that because it appears to show an object doing something miraculous. It's hovering for a start. And then it just goes poof and it disappears. It's perhaps going into the water, which in itself is transmedium, one of the five observables. It's perhaps demonstrating stealth. It's perhaps demonstrating instantaneous velocity.
2: Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, for what we have there in the visual evidence, um, both the uh, spherical looking FLIR footage, and then also from the same vessel which we would assume around the same time, we have radar imagery, imagery of the radar screen, um, and you can hear the, the the commanders on the bridge of the Omaha de- de- describing these contacts and describing uh, the fact that this object was splash mark bearing range. We can assume that they must have had that on radar because if you're going to do mark bearing range, that to me is like a radar track that you're you know putting a pin on, saying mark that right there because that that object just disappeared. So, you know, it's very unusual. I mean, what what were they observing? Again, talk, we would need to talk to some of these sailors to say, you guys were there. What was it that you were looking at? Was this a, a DJI, you know, Phantom Pro or something out there? Or was this not anything that anyone had ever seen before?
1: But that's the point, isn't it? And to come back to why the 2019 incident matters, it's because there is no known drone technology or indeed there is no known technology anywhere in any government in the world that can do what that object did it's a solid object it's either disappearing and going full stealth off radar or it's moved so quickly that you can't see it or it's dropped into the sea so quickly it's gone transmedium but it doesn't leave a splash so, right, I so. mean, I
2: mean, they thought that it went in the water. Splash means that thing just entered the water, so that the whoever's on that tape thinks that object just went in. And whether they thought that it crashed or it disappeared, um, I believe that they went and tried to find it and didn't find anything.
0: I know one of the results of our conversation today is a lot of people, Dave, are going to search out your uh, excellent documentary um, and they're going to watch it again, and we'll certainly link to it. Uh, and so that people can take a look at it. I just wanna know because people are, are going to look at it and they're gonna say, so this is the best representation of what happened. Talk to me about creating the Tic Tac. You did it through, I guess, CGI. I'm, how did you determine what to make it look like and how accurate do you feel you, you did? Were you successful or it, it, should people take what they're saying with a grain of salt and just say, well, it's the best guess at this time?
2: Well, I mean, what I did was I took every available at the time. You know, this would have been 2018. <clears throat> every available uh, article and narrative uh, at the time by the pilots. Um, you know, at the time you, we heard from Commander David Fravor, Commander uh, Lieutenant Commander Jim Slate, uh, Douglas Kurth, and you know some anonymous pilots at the time that today we know are Commander at the time Lieutenant Alex Dietrich. So. Mm-hmm. In looking at their narratives and their description of what they saw and then putting that together with some of the uh, unofficial reports that we had at the time, we could kind of guesstimate where the object was and where the jets were. So basically, I took that information and then using a physical simulation, I can place the jets in that environment at 20,000 feet above the ocean, I can put an object in the ocean that... You know, Commander Fravor said looks like a 737 that's under underwater in a 40 foot or 40 to 50 foot white capsule above the ocean and show you what that looks like. And I can show you the perspective from the pilots as they're looking down, as they begin descending, they see this object come up and they, you know, he begins um, kind of doing a, a circular maneuver where this object comes up and is mimicking his circular maneuver. So that's kind of what I did. I put these objects in motion at the relative speed and altitudes that they would be and showed the, how what the pilot might see. And it's actually quite small. I mean, when you look at the real, you know, kind of distances and th- so on, you know, he saw like a little white speck, you know, um, this thing wasn't like giant in front of him or anything. He got within maybe a mile of it. And even at that range, it was pretty small. Um, but I think that based on everything that, they, that the pilots have said, it's probably pretty close, at least, you know, not, none of the pilots have, like, come to me and um, said, hey, that's completely wrong, you know, that, that didn't look like that at any anything. Um, I think the only pushback I got was, you know, some of the voice acting was a little poor, <laughs> you know, like, like he, so the pilots don't like to say that they were, like, you know, peeing their pants or whatever, like, <laughs> Kevin, Day, Kevin Day said that or something. <laughs> well, you did it. So. You
0: did a real service for... People that want to know more about this, you—you you really, uh, you know, made it come alive for for a lot of people. And congratulations on that; it's quite an accomplishment.
1: Yeah, I've second that too, Dave. I mean, I, I for one think that your work's been largely unacknowledged, and uh, we wanted to pay tribute to the work that you are still doing and hopefully still to come. Dave, I think we have to end it there because we've come to the end of need to know for this week, but. What I have learned from what you've told us today is that the 2019 incident cannot be explained away in a prosaic way as UAS, UASs or drones. So thank you very much for joining us.
2: Appreciate the time to discuss it.
1: And we'll be back another time very soon with
2: more very, very interesting news that we have coming
0: on Need to Know. We'll tell you when you need to know. Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. I'm producer Rich Johnson, and you can learn more at needtoknow.today. That's
1: needtoknow.today.